right, everybody, welcome back to the Five Hole Taxi Squad, a Five Hole Fantasy Hockey presentation. We are back once again in the van cab tonight, October 22nd, the end of week two in the NHL season and the end of week two in the fantasy hockey season. We are only two taxi drivers strong tonight, myself and Jay, but we are here with quick fares to give you a little bit of our insight and what we saw around the league in week two. So Jay, start up the fares and let's get into it. to the five hole taxi squad we are your hosts tonight for quick fares and the week two review craig and jay what's going on jay how's your weekend been welcome back oh it's incredible oh man craig but i guess the big lesson learned over the weekend is the internet is undefeated nobody wins by getting involved in an internet war jay is learning firsthand what it means to be a content creator and provider with some heat from our listener ecosystem he's having fun with it so let's dive into uh quick fares in our week two review jay and i are going to give you some thoughts on what the squad saw and what uh, some of our take-homes are from week two's action as it has wrapped uh, we will also step back into the van cab confessional give both of ourselves some breathing space and some airtime on maybe something that we might have got wrong in our previous takes whether that was through week one or week two content or going back to our preseason content and then we are going to bring back a five hole fantasy hockey staple into the show with our hot guy check-in Let's start off the show with a little bit of uh, around the league. Unfortunately, the big one that just hit today was an update on Connor McDavid after Saturday's action. Mick Jesus is out one to two weeks with an undisclosed upper body injury. He's actually only missed two games over the past three seasons. Obviously, this is the best player on the planet. This is the best player for fantasy hockey purposes. This is pretty unfortunate. Hopefully, it is only a short window of time, similar to the Zach Rowinski injury, not comparing the two players in any shape or form. Obviously, McDavid is on another planet to Zach Rowinski. I think from a fantasy hockey perspective, this rises Ryan Nugent Hopkins' stock for whoever owns him out there he will get most likely the bump in ice time while mcdavid is gone especially down the center of the ice and dry will probably see a bump in ice time as well fingers crossed for everybody who loves mcjesus and loves hockey and loves fantasy hockey even when you're facing him it's still fun to watch what he does on the ice that this is just short term Another injury, Andre Barakowski of the Seattle Kraken is out six to eight weeks with an upper body injury. This is not good for the Kraken. I know they had an offensive explosion later this week with seven goals, but they have been struggling offensively. This is one of their best offensive players leading the team in scoring last year until he went out with injury. I think this may be you know, bring some more time on ice, bring some more power play opportunity to the likes of Jaden Swartz, Oliver Bjorkstrand, and Eli Tolvanen. Another injury that happened over week two, it actually happened on Friday. Patrick Laine, one of the few fantasy unicorns that is now tri-eligible out there, is day-to-day with an upper body injury. He did not travel with the team to Saturday's game in Minnesota. Obviously, a player that is not unfamiliar with missing time with injury, 
it's not good for those that own Patrick Laine. It's not good for the Jackets in terms of losing one of their best goal-scoring weapons. And I think this also gives an opportunity for Adam Fintilli, who's coming off scoring his first career goal on Saturday, to see a bump in his time on ice as well as his power play time. Well, right now it's projected to be Kent Johnson, who actually held that spot for a little bit last year when Laine was hurt. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Fantilli get a little bit of run there, either in the Marchenko spot or the Kent Johnson spot. I think Kent Johnson is actually still a fantasy unicorn, regardless of if his current value or not. I believe he's still try eligible across Yahoo platforms. So maybe some a guy to keep on your watch list, uh, Kent Johnson, if he's going to get some PP run while line A's out. Although, again, it's only day-to-day, no actual time frame for the injury. And then finally, before we get into some hot topics, going on the line A injury, Rasmus Anderson was actually suspended for four games for the hit on Patrick Line on Friday. That actually gave him the upper body injury. He is appealing that suspension. If the four games is upheld, I think this gives opportunity to Noah Hannafin and Mackenzie Weger, depending on who gets the majority of PP1. So something to monitor, something to keep an eye on over the next couple of days. That wraps storylines and injury trends going out of week two. So Jay, why don't we jump into your takeaways from week two? Give me an honorable mention there as well. And then we'll come back to me for my main topic and honorable mention from week two. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Like the big main topic for me is real, real straightforward. In fantasy hockey, there is a best ability. It's availability. What I mean by that is Your players can only get you points if they touch the puck. They can only touch the puck if not only they can play and have a game, but also fit onto your starting lineup. So at the end of the day, it's your job and duty as a manager to monitor those weekly schedules, those head-to-head matchups, and to look for the teams with the off nights. Also... Look for the team with off nights that play early in the week. You don't want the heroic Sunday, Saturdays every week to rally you back from a deficit. You want your team to be comfortably in the lead. You want your team to be able to tackle and save those late week ads to get a head start jump to further roll on for next week. That is, I guess, the best uh, main topic I have for quick fares, especially going into week two, and especially going into a week two where, again, if you keep an ad available later in the week, it doesn't only help you prep ahead, it helps you in contingency moments, especially like the unfortunate scenario with Connor McDavid, right? Like, he gets thrown on to -to day-to-day. If you were still losing on... Sunday, what you could have done is you could have quickly dropped him fresh onto the IR+, and then you'd have one available spot and slot on your roster to add on for the remainder of the week, or obviously now the next two weeks, which is, yeah, it's unfortunate that Connor McDavid got hurt. I think he actually got hurt running into a teammate. That's just not what you want in the league, and that's just, it's really, really unfortunate when the best player in the league to touch the ice can't be there. Yeah, I guess we'll go to you. What's your main topic, actually? No, I think you're right, Jay. I think it's important to always talk about schedule maximization and looking for those key insights each week. I don't think, you know, coming out of week one, there was some exciting things, like some explosive things that happened that were very eye-popping. I think there was some hot topics that came out of week two but it wasn't as aggressively spicy as week one because of the excitement of everything kicking off but i think yeah i think from a strategy standpoint it's continue to monitor how you can maximize the schedule how you can maximize your streamers you know you should be looking at that throughout your week but for me it goes back to a topic we talked on the week three preview is just being strategic with your ads, but also being conservative with your ads to help yourself later in the week is the key driving point in terms of how you do that, especially in a unique schedule setting as week one and week two of the season. But let's dive into a little bit more of the hockey side of things. And for me, the main topic of this week is the D. 
Detroit Red Wings. They might be a wagon. Just going to throw that out there. And I know, Jay, you were one of the uh, squad members uh, that did say that they could potentially be a playoff team. So good on you. Yes, I know. Small sample size in a vacuum. We are only two weeks in. But this team is now 5-1-0 to start the season. Coming off another big win today against the Calgary Flames, winning 6-2 this afternoon. Their only loss of the season to over the first two weeks is to the New Jersey Devils, another team that's supposed to be a playoff team, that's supposed to be a true wagon. This team is tied for second in the league and wins. They currently have the top power play in the league, scoring at a 45% clip on the man advantage. And this is obviously led by the homecoming of Alex Dabrinkat and his romance that seems to be festering between the two of them with their number one center Dylan Larkin they have combined for 23 points in six games putting them after today first and second in NHL scoring through two weeks Larkin is second in NHL scoring with 11 points through six games and Debrinkat is currently after today first in NHL scoring after six games, including the hat trick that he scored today, making him tied for the league in goal scoring with Nikita Kucherov with six goals. This team has been exciting to watch. They have been much more scoring savvy than they were last year, and they have also been more sound defensively. But I with both Larkin and Dabrinkat playing above a point per game pace currently, which yes, there could be some regression there, but do they regress just to point per game pace? I would say that's still probably expected from Larkin, but I think the unknown was Dabrinkat. Everybody knew he came into the Detroit hometown kid down season, but a known commodity as a shooter and a goal scorer in the NHL. But there were still question marks around the fit. Would he gel with Larkin? How quickly would they gel together? Well, it looks to have been a very quick marriage to this point. So even if there is some regression down to a point per game pace, I still believe with what you've seen from these two, you have seen them also create fantasy relevance for the likes of Lucas Raymond, which he is now playing with them at even strength on the top line. They've certainly boosted Shane Gostisfair's uh, value and Mo Sider's value and David Perron's value, all three of them on the top power play unit, currently the top power play unit in the league. I think that also regresses, but I still think this looks like a very formidable top power play unit and something that could very well be a top 10 or a top five unit when all things are said and done at the end of the year. This team appears to be heading into week three full of fantasy relevance. That includes their secondary scorers, all of them, which especially JT Comfort and Andrew Kopp off to solid starts. But you've seen over the last two games a little bit of an uptake in Joe Valino, up-and-coming player in their system. I believe he's their 3C right now, but he's also been seeing some power play time on PP2. And you've also seen fantasy relevance of the likes of Ben Sherratt, and to your and my dismay, <laughs> Justin Hall, who is first in the league in plus-minus and had three assists today uh, in Detroit's win against Calgary. And then I think this all kind of coincides. Okay, lots of fantasy relevancy in their top six, even in their top nine, even with Daniel Sprong having some hot and cold streaming likability, if we want to call him that, uh, when the Red Wings have 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 a good schedule. But this also coincides with decent to strong goaltending play from Vili Husso, who's improved so far his save percentage from last year now just over 900 at 901 he has three wins on the season backed by a solid backup in james reiner reimer coming off a big win today 
against the Flames, and he had a shutout for the Red Wings. So overall, I think my big takeaway from this team is they're better than they we thought they were, and I definitely have Larkin and, and Dabrinkin in, in, in a lot of places, so this is very happy, happy good times for me. Rocket going off, uh, having a nice bounce back week to myself from a fantasy perspective, you know, a lot to do with these two carrying the load. But I think you're going to see, especially from a treat, a streaming perspective for this team. Cause I don't, I don't really see, unless you're in a, fa- a face-offs league, JT comfort maybe has some hold opportunity. Like if you want to hold them a little bit long-term, just based on how hot the team has started, obviously most siders highly owned. Daryl Narkin's highly owned to highly owned. Ghost Despair is interesting to me. I think what holds him back is he doesn't do a lot peripherally. Like, he doesn't hit and block a lot. But if he continues to score and contribute offensively from the quote-unquote QB1 quarterback position, I think he is a viable hold as well from this team. But I think what this speaks to me is there's just a lot of fat. These These two guys playing like they are, even if it regresses a little bit to a point per game pace, it keeps the rest of the team fantasy relevant. Even Ben Sherratt, I think, has like four points over the last three games. It's just there's just going to be, if they can continue to be in the conversation of at least a playoff team, a lot of viable streaming options, viable holds. So give me your thoughts there, Jay. Give me your thoughts on the Red Wings there, bud. Five and one, right? Like, these are six games against other professional hockey teams. Some of them we either pegged as playoff bound or regression back positively to the mean. And maybe those games could have gone 50-50, but honestly, their wins have looked convincing. They've scored four or more goals in every single one of their wins. The only time they didn't score four or more goals was the first game of the season where they scored three and lost to uh, New Jersey. Obviously, offensive output and scoring has come early for Detroit. But I'd actually argue that that's either going to result in huge regression when the scoring dries up, but I'm actually going to argue the other opposite way, which is Vili Husso has not really played very well, but Vili Husso has displayed in the past that he can play extremely well and be that difference maker, meaning there is play improvement that can still be had for a Detroit Red Wings team that is winning. You and I also know James Reimer, right? Like in a vacuum as a backup, he's always been quality. So if he can support Husso in a way that puts less pressure on the kid to perform night in and night out like he had to last year. Perhaps you get a fresher Villa Huso, allowing them a little bit more freedom to help on the scoring side of things, which allows them, like you said, to compete a little bit more at a higher level against the teams like New Jersey, like Tampa, like Pittsburgh. Even the Flames and like the Jackets have had a nice little stretch over the opening two weeks. These are all teams that look like they're going to be in the conversation. There's some viability to this short window of what's occurring in Detroit right now because, yes, Tabrinkat and Larkin are leading the way, but it's being supported by a lot of the pieces around them, not just them elevating their play to an elite level during this window of time in terms of the early stages of the season, but it's elevating everybody around them, which even if Debrinkat and Larkin come back down to earth, you've already elevated the players around you. That gives you time to kind of regress and then come back and then regress and then come back if everybody else is playing at a higher level as well. So yeah, I agree with you on the Huso point for sure. The one thing I was thinking further, even for the team, is that the teams coming up seem not no easier or different or difficult, but just like Seattle. The Seattle Kraken, the Winnipeg Jets, both of those teams, even in a vacuum last season, you could have argued and said, yeah, those are pretty winnable games if Detroit was lined up against them. 
there's no real drop off, so to speak, for the Detroit Red Wings from last season. The only feeling is that they've added atop that Goss Despair. They've added on top of that Debrinket. And both of those additions, with extra growth for players such as Lucas Raymond, there's just more opportunity for these guys to play together, gel together. And this is not a league like professional baseball or basketball where a lot of the talent just kind of collects around one or two teams, right? This is a hard salary-capped league where there's a lot of parity. Right now, they have a games played advantage over Boston, right? So they're they're top of the standings. But obviously, Boston hasn't played the last two games, and Boston's currently undefeated. But if the Red Wings went like 50-50, right? They lost half of their games in the remainder of the season, but they also gained some extra overtime lost points and they won only 50% of their remaining games, that puts them, what, 95 95 points? This hot start, assuming it is not sustainable and that they drop and regress exactly to where they were last season, this hot start might be enough to bump them into wildcard positioning already. And again, we're assuming that they have an equal, I guess, like drop-off at a certain point because their play is not sustainable, but I don't know, like... Can, do we really think Vili Huso is going to carry a 900 save percentage for the remainder of the year? Yeah, like that remains to be seen. And I think the last word here from a fantasy perspective is just like we maybe have a Detroit Red Wings team. If you aren't a Larkin owner, if you aren't a Cider owner, if you aren't a Demrinkat owner, that has some fantasy relevance and has some streaming upside and has even some guys you might want to consider holding as value above replacement based on their starts, at least in the interim, to see how what happens with this team over the next two weeks. Do they come back down to earth heading into November, or do they maintain some sort of level of performance that we're seeing now, making these these peripheral players even more uh, fantasy relevant, like the Lucas Raymonds, like the JT Comforts, like the Joey Valinos, the Shane Gostas Bears, right? Like those are all guys you either want on your watch list, you want to stream when the Red Wings have a good schedule, or you might want to consider a value above replacement depending on positional needs. I think that's the last word here is like the Red Wings are fantasy relevant for the 2023-2024 season, at least in the interim of the early stages of the season. On that note, Jay, what do you, why don't you go to your honorable mention for your what you observed through week two's action? Yeah, I guess the last little bit I'll say about the Red Wings and then roll on over is definitely consider James Reimer on the end of back-to-backs because obviously we espouse a zero-G strategy here on the Fiverr Fantasy podcast and also on the taxi squad and man if if we're just viewing i guess the short sample size that we're seeing so far james reimer does seem like he has immense quality but he was always limited by his injury history right he's plagued by injury the one season even way back when when he was able to carry a a rostered lineup all the way through to playoffs was a shortened lockout like a shortened lockout season, right? So if he doesn't need to sit on that, he doesn't need to carry two or three starts every single week, he just has to be a solid backup. For you as a fantasy manager, definitely look on Reimer if he's available on back-to-backs. Now, my honorable mention, picking around at the standings as well, several teams are extremely jarring they stand out greatly against the eye and one obviously is when you see the vegas golden knights wow six games six wins crazy a pretty significant point differential there's only a couple of teams though that are undefeated the boston bruins uh, the colorado avalanche and like vegas but even better colorado and boston are two of only three teams left in the league that have yet to concede in the double digits. Now, it's kind of interesting because Boston makes sense. 
six goals against, played four games. Um, they're a rock-solid team anyway, and they have crazy solid goaltending. That locker room is extremely healthy. That makes sense. Colorado, yeah, that bonafide lineup. But the last team that has not conceded in a double digits yet, even after five games, is pretty interesting. They're the Arizona Coyotes. Yes! <laughs> and so what definitely is worth mentioning with them is, Wow, okay, so let's look here. Not they're, they're there not necessarily because they've been able to win all the games. They got shut out, too, against the Islanders. But both Vejmelka and Ingram, right? These guys are lower than 50% owned. Both of these guys were falling through entire drafts. They are not the team you'd expect to be shipping less than two goals a game so far based on their nine goals in five games. Pick them up, right? Take either of those goalies as a zero-G strategy and just ride that hot streak. If they kept going, they would be conceding 148 goals across a season. Obviously, regression is going to hold up, but is regression going to roll up to the point where they're conceding four, like 300 goals? I think there's fire to the smoke. I think there is, you know, a solid improvement in Arizona. They are not leaking those same goals. They're not leaking even the same number of volume shots and chances. They're worth taking just to see. And obviously, I think by the next game, the Coyotes are going to no longer be in this particular situation. But hey, they might not be on the end of another 6-3 smasher or whatnot, as long as those goalies are playing as hot as they are. And they're available on your wire. Yeah, look, I don't disagree with you. I've got Vajmelka in uh, several leagues now. I did draft him in a couple spots as a 0G candidate. I did ride him and Ingram in a couple of leagues just because of the four-game schedule. Worked out quite nicely in the goalie scoring categories. But just to build on your, you know, defensive prowess from a fantasy perspective of this team. I think there's just a big boy banger, big, big, big beautiful winger fiesta happening on this team in terms of category coverage and streaming capabilities when you're chasing hits and when you're chasing blocks, especially with them playing much more astute in their own end. This, you know, speaks volumes to the likes of Jason Zucker, Lawson Kroos, Nick Bukestad, Jake McBain when he's been in the lineup, the new guy Michael Corcone or Carcone, we'll call him the car man. Um, I don't know much about him, but I know he's been hitting at a pretty significant clip. But like big beautiful winger and Jason Zucker, big beautiful winger and Lawson Kroos, it hits and blocks, you know, shut down centerman and Nick Bukestad, all quality pieces with a little bit of maybe potential for points upside playing around in and around, you know, the players that we've mentioned in their top six, especially Jason Zucker. That also speaks to Matt Dumba, who looks like he's fit in very nicely with that team from a defensive standpoint. He's got great coverage from a hits and block standpoint. He's averaging like almost 22 minutes of ice time, has a little bit of points upside shots on goal upside at even strength. So yeah, just lots of positive things to like about another team that there was unknowns, right? Like the Detroit Red Wings, like the Ottawa Senators, like we talked about last week. Just a lot of positive things happening in real hockey and in the fantasy ecosystem and world for these teams where maybe you didn't see the value in your drafts, but you're definitely starting to see the value now coming 14 days through the opening part of the season. So I really like that. And you know that I'm a big fan and, and want to see, you know, these up and coming teams do do well, especially where I've got some stock in, in some players. And I'm a big believer in, you know, Logan Cooley as well. I'd like to see him really take off this year and, and eventually take that one C from Barrett Hayton. So definitely a team I'm going to continue riding where I have them and, uh, and stream where I where I need to when they have a prime schedule, right? Especially if they continue to play sound defensively, that makes Vajmelka and Ingram very viable from 
a streaming standpoint, but I would argue, especially if you're a general uh, fantasy GM out there that applies the three goalie strategy, Vejmelka should be a third goalie on any fantasy team, if not a one B at this point, in my in my opinion. Give me your closing thoughts on that one, Jay. Uh, if you're listening here, like you must know, obviously, that there are some managers very active in your league, and there's some managers that they liked to draft, and then that was it, right? They, they might tinker with lineups. They might add players if there are injuries, but you, listener, obviously, are trying to, I guess, almost like like some confirmation of what you are already doing, or the alternative is you're, you're trying to listen to gain an edge, right? And Arizona is going to be like the double-dip cookie jar. Those players are so under-owned comparative to what fantasy value they can actually provide to you that you can most likely take some of these guys when their schedule's not great, drop them, and who's going to compete with you to pick up a guy that's on a two-game week? Nobody. When times roll again and they've got a four-game week, you might once again find yourself going to trusty old faithful the Arizona Coyotes. Right now, there's Clayton Keller. He's 97% owned. He's never going to be on your waiver wire. There's Sean Dursey. He's 64% owned. Most of the time, he won't be there either. But then you get to guys like Nick Schmaltz. You get to guys like Logan Cooley. Even Barrett Hayton. He's done pretty much nothing. No goals. No apples this entire season, but he's still getting line one PP one deployment, and around and around twenty minutes on on ice each night. Right, he's playing a third of the game as well. You'd best believe he's going to eventually do something with all that time and power play time playing together with Keller, playing together with Schmaltz. These guys are forty percent owned, thirty five percent owned. Take them and. Get back and get used to this cookie jar that is going to be offering you fantasy value in the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, absolutely. Don't shy away from them, just like we were saying, don't shy away from the Detroit Red Wings. So let's take a little circle in the van cab to my honorable mention after week two. And I think this scares me a little bit because I do not like their coach at all. But the Philadelphia Flyers might be sneaky good. They're currently fifth in the league after two weeks with a 3-1-1 one, one record. They're in the top half of the league in goals four with 3.2 goals a game. And they have a top half in the league in save percentage at 9.05, obviously clearly led by strong performances by Carter Hart. And their scoring is extreme, has been extremely balanced and led by a finally healthy Sean Couturier who is only 19% owned, by the way, in their 1C. He has four points in five games. A finally healthy Cam Atkinson, right wing only, 5% owned, three points in five games, all goals. And apparently now their PP1 quarterback, Travis Seinham, also only 6% owned. It has four points in five games. And all of this you know, balanced scoring from these healthy players and this, you know, random PP1 quarterback led by their best player, Travis Konechny, obviously owned everywhere because everybody knows he's their best player, but he has seven points in five games. I just find this extremely surprising from a team that not only struggled to score, but struggled to keep the puck out of their net, regardless of how well Carter Hart played last year. Torts never really has any sustainable magic with a team and always seems to tinker. Look what he's doing to Owen Tippett early on in the season, moving him up and down the lineup, giving him unstable time on ice. But Torts has always been a guy who has trusted his veterans, right? And now his veterans are healthy and they are producing and they are playing sound hockey for him so that he's going to continue to lean on them. And I think that's why you've also seen Cam York bumped from PP1 because Travis Sineham is better as a two-way defenseman as well as has some offensive upside. And Tortorella is a coach that's going to lean on a defenseman on that versus a young up-and-coming offense first defenseman, which puts you know Cam York's stock down and obviously Travis Sineham's stock up 
especially if this team is, you know, I think this is very much sustainable with a healthier core around Travis Konechny. And it's not like they're performing in like the top five of the league. They're right kind of in the middle of everybody, but this is probably a team that will regress at some point. But I think there's an opportunity to kind of stream and ride well hot and ride well producing with some of these players that I just mentioned with the unfortunate, you know, stock down of the likes of Owen Tippett, who's drafted uh, several places late in drafts, hoping for a continuation from last year. And, you know, some people carrying Cam York. But again, this team might be sneaky good just because Torch's team always plays a sound defensive system and they're all healthy. And they seem to be be able to score at a more balanced clip across the top nine versus just trying to shut down one line when you're playing them like you had to last year because everybody was hurt. If you're strapped at defense and Jay always mentions that QB1 power play quarterback, go take a flyer on Travis Sinham while the Flyers are scoring at this clip and uh, see if he can continue to hold that position down. And he also blocks and he hits too. So he's a viable category coverage defenseman as well as getting some run on the power play. You know, I wouldn't say just go check on Sean Couturier and Cam Atkinson. I think you want to put them on your watch list and see if they can continue this production before you go and say that they're a value above replacement. And, you know, watch out for a (laughs) Konechny owner trying to sell high because I am not sure Konechny is a point-per-game pace player uh, when it's all said and done. I don't know. What are your thoughts there, Jay? Yeah, I would say one one big standout as well as just looking at the standings like this metro division some people might say it's weak i don't think weak is the right word the word is there is a lot of parody philly is actually on top right now it's so early it's six five six games in the season but philly is topping the standings and i i didn't quite expect to see it even this early in the season But what I would definitely say is similar to the Detroit setup. And although we describe parity, not all teams are equal. And what I mean by that is, if we were were to go back to the Detroit Red Wings example, when Vili Husso sits, who is the backup coming on to replace him? It's basically another, I guess, former playoff leading netminder in James Reimer. Pretty reasonable to think, yeah, it's there there were flashes in the pen before they're just, you know, like some of these players are old. They're old veterans that aren't able to sustain that excellence over an entire season, but they can give you those little bright flashes. And then you look at the Flyers and you realize that Carter Hart's, you know, all the way back, but he's definitely given some really, really solid runs. And he's held the net as a young netminder for several seasons now. He's been fantasy relevant, always in a zero-G strategy. When he goes to sit, who comes on? The thing with Philly as well is that they are simply a team that is going to live and die by Carter Hart. If he's got the saves going, I think that team with a solid defensive style and everything can eke out 3-2 wins, 4-2 if you add the empty net goal, like no other. But... Travis Konechny is not going to score a goal every game for the rest of the season. And when that goal-scoring streak dries up, there's nobody else behind him to follow up. So, Philly, definitely surprisingly good, is, I think, the the big one. I would say that, just as a closing thought on that one, I would say that there's no value above replacement except for maybe Travis Sinham at this time if you're really looking for a power play one quarterback or you have an injury on your defense because he does have some category coverage. But the rest of them are streamable when Philly has a prime schedule and maybe more so than some other of the lesser teams in the league than we thought they would be. So just keep that in mind when Philly pops up with a prime schedule in the coming weeks and months. All right, Jay, take a deep breath and we'll park the van cab right now and we'll just, we'll take a seat and why don't you 
take the first seat in the confessional and you just you just air your grievances talk to the people take you the floor is yours I'm always going to step into the confessional with contriteness of heart. I'm I honestly came in to this season. I mentioned Detroit. I mentioned geez, I think we even gave Montreal some run, right? Like for fantasy relevance, but I will have to come into confessional with the admission that I did not give the Boston Bruins anywhere near, anywhere damn near the respect that team deserves. 4-0 to start the season. It looks like right now with this game going on, it looks like it'll be 5-0 to start that season. I'm looking at some of these players, and obviously you have you have the Pasternaks, you have the Marchands, you have the McAvoys. But did I really truly expect James Van Riemsdyk to be coming back, bringing it back 10 years ago and acting, playing on line one PP1 or line three PP1 as some bona fide power play specialist. I did not see that coming. And if Boston is able to do that to, uh, I don't even know how old Van Riemsdyk is because he's just faded entirely from memory in that year. So it says he's 34 years old, which is not, he's past, a little bit past his hockey prime, you know, but I did not expect James Van Riemsdyk to be pulling back the years and acting and playing like how Boston probably expected and wished Taylor Hall ended up playing on their team. Um, So that's my big confessional that Boston I did not give you the respect, and with what I'm seeing with JVR, I should definitely never count out the Boston Bruins, even if they lost. This is also without really anything from Pavel Zaka, their 1C. I say that with trepidation right now. This is with a slow start from Jake DeBrusque, who has been healthy stretched recently, also a who was supposed to be a prime part of their top six. And this is also a slow start from Charlie McAvoy. Charlie McAvoy is still doing things, yet even strength, but he hasn't done much on the power play yet. To your point and to the listeners, stream James Van Riemsdyk. And I would say stash Jake DeBrusque, because I don't think he's going to stay this quiet for much longer because again Jay mentioned it earlier he talked about Vegas he's not talking about Boston apparently these two teams are showing you that the President's Trophy hangover and the Stanley Cup hangover apparently don't exist in these two organizations because they're just here to continue (laughs) to be amazing and dominate everybody that they play regardless of if it's a pain in the ass from a fantasy standpoint or a real life hockey fan standpoint I'm starting to think that both the Boston Bruins and the Vegas Golden Knights do play fantasy and get themselves on their own TAM teams because why else are these guys so motivated to do so well night in, night out? I don't know. Don't have the answer, but my goodness, let's ride these trains. James Van Riemsdyk, he's 27% owned. (laughs) He also plays... Like 12 minutes a night? So, like, does he only come on for the He's power plays? He's over 15 plays? minutes tonight against the Ducks. They must have gotten a couple extra power and plays And he has then. five <laughs> shots on goal. You already talked about this this game tonight, the Boston Bruins at the uh, at the Anaheim Ducks. Before I sit down in the confessional, because it just grinds my gears a little bit. You know what really grinds my gears? They let Trevor Zegers sit out and then sign him to a bridge deal, paying him less money than they paid... Kaloran, and they did the same thing to Jamie Drysdale and then signed him to a bridge deal. And now I saw a report, and it's been confirmed, that they're going to put their prime second overall pick, who has looked great this week, Leo Carlson, on a games played leash to start the first half of the season. He's healthy scratched tonight, and the GM has already confirmed it won't be the only time he's healthy scratched in the first half of the season because they want to work him into his NHL career. 
and he'll play a full schedule in the second half of the season. Anaheim, what are you doing? How do you not want you... to get any better? And how do you not want your stud young draft capital players to stick around and play for your franchise? You are doing a disservice to the great legacy of Paul Correa and Chris Pronger and Scott Niedermeyer and Timo Solani. What is going on in that organization? You just gave this kid 20 minutes of ice time for two straight games. And then you said to him, oh, we're going to healthy scratch you because we're going to manage your minutes. What is this? The NBA? What the hell? <laughs> Free Leo Carlson. Can you imagine if... What the hell? Can, can you imagine if Chicago's GM came out and said, guys, Bedard, we got to oh manage some God. minutes here. The only reason Leo Carlson can't say anything is because he wasn't supposed to be second overall. And it's Anaheim. <laughs> But poor Leo Carlson, free Leo Carlson, people. All right. I, I digress, and I'm going to step into the confessional, and I'm going to be short and sweet, Jay, because this is for the people, and we want to hold ourselves accountable. And there may have been a time in our earlier episodes where I said, other than Aho, Natchez, and Burns, and Svechnikov on their Carolina Hurricanes, they're Brindamore Blender was going to make all other fantasy value on that team very messy. And this team was a better hockey team for real life than fantasy. Well, 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 we are now at the end of week two. And I'm not going to say I might have been wrong. I'm going to say that I was wrong because you do not have Aho. He is still hurt. You do not have Svechnikov. He is still hurt. They are second in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Natchez is doing Natchez things. Burns is doing Burns things, even though they're kind of messing with Burns' power play time because apparently Tony D'Angelo's in his 10 minutes of ice time has any relevance on that power play. God damn you, Rob Burnamore. What is wrong with you? But I think the people know and we know right now, Seth Jarvis is one of the hottest players in the NHL to start the season. I think he's still lowly owned. So people, if you do not own him and you're not holding him now, please go get him and put him on your fantasy squad. He's dual eligible center right wing. And this man is hot, 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 spicy hot. And he's not even on the Hawkeye check-in because he's just too hot to be on the Hawkeye check-in. But on the same vein, they're also getting... A very strong contribution from Michael Bunting, a very strong contribution as the fill-in interim 1C from Turbo Teravainen. Jasper Kopkin-Yemi is top 30 in most scoring formats right now, people. He has like eight points on the season, if I'm not mistaken. Like, good lord, what is going on? And in the last week, he has five points. In the last, in week two, he has five points and eight shots on goal, one hit and three blocks. And then Ste Stefan Nosan, who the f is this guy? And this guy keeps getting power play one deployment. He has six points in the last seven days, three shots on goal, five hits and one block. Okay, my bad. There's a lot of fantasy value behind the, the big boys in Carolina. You know, stream Jasper Kopkin-Yemi, stream Stefan Nason, stream and or go find value above replacement for Tur Turbo Teravainen. Still not high on bunting. I think he loses his line one spot when Svechnoff comes back. Whether that bumps uh, no send to line three remains to be seen. But there's some strong peripheral scoring in Carolina, and I was wrong about that. I didn't know, didn't believe in the pieces around Aho and Natchez and Burns. They seem to be proving me wrong, and great. I got Jarvis in a whole bunch of places, and it's bunting that I'm not 100% sure of, and because just because Svechnikov, he will be back, and I'm not sure where he ends up in the lineup at that point. And Svechnikov is a way better player than him. And Bunting is only left wing eligible. There's a lot of more valuable left wingers than Michael Bunting. Not to say that he's not playing well to start the season. Uh, but yeah, that's my confessional for week two. Carolina Hurricanes. Good team in real life. 
also a good team in fantasy, but for the love of God, people do not even touch or play with t- Tony D'Angelo. No. Just no. Even Rob Brindamore no, knows mean, he shouldn't be on the ice unless it's on like a five on three. That's why he only gets like 10 minutes of ice time in a game. Well, it did improve. It did improve last night where he got a whopping 17 minutes. Ooh, it's pretty It's pretty spicy. Kalen Addison's yeah. getting more ice time than him, okay? That's all that I need to say, okay? But, but the weird part with the Carolina Hurricanes, too, is that none of this even makes any sense. Like, Jacob Slavin. Three goals, four oh, assists. Damn, I didn't even get into Jacob Slavin, uh, Rasmus Dahlin Light, and what Brady Shea's doing to start the season. So talk to the people. <laughs> Just like Craig described, right? Jacob Slavin, Brady Shea, these guys don't get the power play minutes we described, right? They go to Brent Burns, 38-year-old Brent Burns. They go to Tony D'Angelo, who seems to only play the power play minutes. But I guess it doesn't matter anymore. Like Jacob Slavin and Brady Shea, they just don't need... They only play five-on-five, and then they only score on the five-on-five? I, I don't know how this makes any sense necessarily. So Rob, it's the Brindamore blender. It's confusing everybody. That's he's just he's just sticking us all in there with these weird pieces, and they're like, "Oh, look at this! Look what I can create." <laughs> so, listeners out there, if you don't know, but I guess you are willing to sit in it and just say, "I trust they'll continue to score five on five, regardless, even if they don't get any PP time," then. Go ahead. The moment Sunday's evening has concluded tonight and then a fresh Monday week will roll around tomorrow. Go add, if they're still around on any of your leagues, either of Brady Shea or Jacob Slavin. Or I don't know if you would trade for them, but I would say if they're hanging around, like you have worse players on your team than... Any guy that can produce three goals, four assists, like basically point per game status without any power play time. None of this makes any sense, Craig, though. None of this makes any sense. It's confusing, but hey, look, if you need more value from a fantasy standpoint, here's another team to, you know, cha-ching, cash in on, on peripheral scoring and opportunistic hot guys that are going right now that are rolling like Slavin, like Brady Shea, like Kopkin Yemi. I don't know what their schedule is like going into week three, but, you know, definitely guys you want to stream or if you need, you know, those peripheral defensemen in a categories league, Brady Shea and Slavin are definitely guys you want, especially Slavin. He hits and blocks and shoots. You definitely want them in a categories league for sure. So, yeah, don't shy away. And some of my takes are going to be awesome. Some of them are going to be, hey, the Carolina Hurricanes don't have any uh, fantasy value beyond – Aho, Svechnikov, Natchez, and Burns. Oops. But let's not dive too much more. Let's let's step out of the confessional, and we're going to do a five-hole fantasy hockey staple for the people out there. We're going to do, to end the pod and the end of quick fares for week two, we're going to do our first inaugural Taxi Squad hot guy check-in. Hot guy check-in. So, Jay, why don't you hit the people, and I know you already talked about them a little bit, but give us a little bit more depth into the hot guy you want to cover off and yeah, so 100% Jacob Slavin, Brady Shea, look into those guys. See if those guys end up continuing to score 5v5. I don't think that is how any of fantasy hockey has ever worked with guys not getting the PP time and continuing to outscore and outperform the guys that do. But these are the hot guy check-ins, right? Like none of this makes sense. If you're willing to go in with the Brindamore blender, Go on and roll with it. The guy I would definitely say, though, two other guys that are getting the power play minutes, they are getting that deployment, and they have surprised and just, you know, curiously check to see if they continue. Boston Bruins, James Van Riemsdyk. He's getting power play one. My goodness, you want in on the Boston power play one. The second one is Sean Monaghan. Great upcoming schedule this week. Dude's finally getting in on the action and scoring on that power play one, two. Doc is gone. There is, well, okay, apologies to all the Montreal Canadiens fans. Doc is not gone. Doc is injured and, for fantasy purposes, not going to be relevant for the next little while. So, 
we are in a next man up situation, Sean Monahan. So those are the two guys, JVR, Sean Monahan, and I guess Brindamore Blenderit, I guess. I don't know. Slavin, Shea, someone's got a score in Carolina. Back to you, Craig. All right, and then a couple of other Hawkeye check-ins that we wanted to do just because they are smoking hot over the last seven days is Arturi Lekkonen, left wing, 41% owned, line one, power play one with McKinnon and uh, Nachushkin. Yes, Nachushkin. Valerie Nachushkin. There we go. Uh, yeah, so line one, power play one with uh, McKinnon and Valerie Nachushkin. Uh, average time on ice over the to start the season has been 1850. In his last seven days, he has two goals, four assists for six points. Four of those uh, six points have been on the power play. He has 11 shots on goal, three hits, and two blocks. I'm really sad that they took away his dual eligibility. Hopefully, it comes back. I don't know why he had it uh, last year. He's always been a left winger. He's never really played on the right side. Perhaps it was his first year in Colorado when they had all those injuries. Maybe he was playing a little bit on the right side. I don't really remember. But I think that's the only thing that hurts Arturi Lekkonen's value moving forward, especially if he maintains this deployment and maintains this ice time, is is his lack of eligibility at other positions. But he could be a valuable a value above replacement for sure for somebody on your bench. You just have to be mindful of you know, the position spots you have for left wing and if you have multi if you have multiple utility spots in your league like more than one i would definitely have arteri lekkonen on my bench for sure as long as he's getting this deployment the second guy which is crazy because you know this team's still trying to find their legs and hopefully score at a higher clip than they have but frank veterano Center left wing, so dual eligible guy, also 41% own. He's line two, power play two. However, a little bit of poor deployment. He's playing with McTavish. He's playing with McTavish and Ryan Strom in the top six. Yes, getting power play two. They don't really run power play two too much in Anaheim. However, his average time on ice to start the season is 19-11. In the last seven days, he has four goals, one of them on the power play, eight penalty minutes, 12 shots on goal, and he's approaching big, beautiful winger status. Eight hits, eight blocks in the, in the last, in week two. If he maintains that deployment and even can get a sniff at power play one at any point during the season, I think Frank Veterano has Definitely deep league value right now, 100%. He's getting top six minutes, if not top line minutes, even though he's not playing on the top line. He shoots a ton. He hits at a good clip. He blocks at a good clip for a forward. He's dual eligible. And he's in a team that has the best streaming schedule for fantasy hockey. So he's definitely somebody in a deeper league you know, 12 teams or more, I would look to have him on my bench or at least be looking to eye him as like my top watch list guy when Anaheim has a good schedule, which is a lot this season, which is almost like every second week. <laughs> uh, some honorable mention guys, you you hit on them, but I was just kind of looking, you know, anybody from Carolina apparently <laughs> that isn't uh, that isn't Natchez or Burns. Uh, but Andrew Kopp also been on fire this last week. Three goals, uh, 12 shots on net, and four four blocks. He has been averaging, you know, in and around 17 minutes time on ice. He's on line two, power play two, I believe, in Detroit. And we just talked about them being one of the hottest all-around teams in hockey right now. Uh, Trevor Moore, which we mentioned on the week one preview, or sorry, the week three preview, also super spicy right now. In week two, he had three goals, one assist, eight shots on goal, and two hits. And then my final honorable mention, just because of the Gabe Velarde injury in Winnipeg, Alex Ayafalo over week two, he had two goals, one assist, one shorthanded point, and... 10 shots on goal and two blocks and his ice time has gone from just around 14 minutes to around 18 minutes since the Velarde injury and he's getting power play one and sorry he's on line three with Adam Lowry and Nino Niederreiter but he's on power play one in Velarde's spot now that Velarde's hurt for four to six weeks 
I think that takes us to the end of Quick Fairs, Jay. That's what we've got from our look back at week two. We wish you happy streaming and good luck in your waiver claims tomorrow morning. We'll park the van cab for now. As always, like and subscribe on all of your podcast providers. Reach out to us on and or join the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Discord. If you're not in there, if you have any uh, fantasy hockey questions, throw them in the Thursday Mailbag uh, channel or throw them in the Taxi Squad channel in the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Discord. We're happy to answer them. We're happy to get them on the show as we approach week three weekend preview and week four preview later this week. Uh, I will be back early this week with fresh fares. Uh, also looking back at uh, some interesting, hot, cold, and hopeful storylines from week two. But we'll park the van cab for now. Jay, turn off the fares. Thank you, as always, for listening. We appreciate the support in the community out there and the acceptance of the taxi squad and all the drivers from myself Jay, Allen, Matty K, and Craig. We will sign off for week two, and we will talk to you all soon as week three progresses. And if you haven't listened yet, get into week the week three preview. And I believe Raj just released episode four of the five hole fantasy hockey guide. So check out episode four from Mike Rogerson. Uh, of his limited series uh, which i believe he just released yesterday if you have not done so already great series if you're new to fantasy hockey looking to get into fantasy hockey or starting your own league and as always maximize your schedule look to stream value above replacements is always what we're trying to eye here on the taxi squad and don't discount those peripheral skaters on the hot teams around the league We'll talk to you all soon. Good night, everybody. It's all love. Taxi Squad is signing off for now. We'll pick you up later.